Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Amelia. And I'm your host, Billy. And we're watching How to Train Your Coward. Now, Amelia, did you notice any specific kind of monsters in this episode? Perhaps a big duck? <sighs> I'm so fucking tired of this series. I, th- I thought that would be funny. A little bit of a fun little vampire voice. There's a vampire in this episode. <sighs> didn't It didn't perk you up, it seems. No. Okay. Because you'll find that I had to watch a cold open with a singing duck man. Yes. And that also, this is a Nosferatu, and Nosferatu came out during the silent era of movies. That's true. Which vastly improved it because it wasn't Bella Lugosi doing a stupid voice. I, that's an extremely good point that the voice that I used was a Dracula voice, and this is a Nosferatu. Tell you about Nosferatu, though. How many acts does that movie have? Too many. I remember we watched it together, and you were shocked when it started getting into the higher-numbered acts. Because I think you were expecting, you know, the traditional three. Yeah. A three-act structure for a movie. I feel like movies have always done that. Apparently, it's rather new. But uh, what we have here, at first glance, this episode does start with some very classic horror tropes. We have bats flying at the screen. We have a banging on the door of a cliffside mansion. The owner plays the organ. And then there's a quackagram. Or a, a duckagram. I'm not quite sure what his business is called. A nightmare, if you ask me. You wouldn't hire a big duck to come and quack a, a funny little tune at you. No. What if it was Ducky Momo? When I was small, the world was such a strange place And that was all until I saw his strange face Quacking in slow-mo Ducky Momo is my friend Once again... Ducky Momo is my friend. Yes, Billy. Ducky Momo is all of our friends. Phineas and Ferb taught us that. However... Much like Nosferatu, Ducky Momo doesn't speak. That's also that true! that is to his great advantage! That is also true! What we have here instead is a very disillusioned man who has arrived at the wrong house and at least has a line I did laugh out loud at. I managed to find the only house in America without a kid named Brayden in it. Very good. Too many kids are named Brayden. That's just a public service announcement <laughs> from me. I've never met a Brayden. That's because we don't associate with a lot of children in our day-to-day lives anymore. The anymore is ominous. I don't know why I put that in there. And uh, my, my other note, before I get to premise, my other note for Ask First Glance is because we cut away from what's happening there at the, the spooky Clue Mansion to the gang finishing a mystery. What do you mean Clue Mansion? It's not a mansion, it's a castle. Eh, you're banging on a door at night. That, you're right, it's nothing to do with Clue. It's just a big old castle. But, we cut away from that. 
and we cut to a mystery in progress. And it's always strange to me to get an end of mystery opening in, like, the actual series proper. That's very much a movie trope in Scooby-Doo. So it's always a little odd to see it show up in the actual series. Also, I'm pretty sure they're fighting Solomon Grundy. Yeah, that is just that is, that is just Batman's villain, Solomon Grundy. Born on a Grundy. Monday. Get out of Gotham, Scooby gang! That's his! Anyways, would you, would you like a premise? Because I think the premise will illuminate a lot of what's happening here. Shaggy and Scooby finally want out of the mystery-solving business and get replacements. Unfortunately, their replacements don't know what to do, so they have to stick around to show them. We didn't cover any of that. Now our listeners are even more confused. We've talked about Nosferatu and yeah. Ducky Momo. Yeah, well, hey, this is not a problem with us. This is a problem with the premise. With not cool. not yes, mentioning vampires, not mentioning castles. It mentions the, the gang plot, the B plot of the episode, which is that Shaggy and Scooby are quitting. And I feel like at this point, we have seen this quite a few times. It's a, it's a hollow threat. The gang has called them on it time and time again. <laughs> They're never going to leave. The show's called Scooby-Doo. You're not getting out. Alive. Starting with the Shaggy and Scooby shenanigans. So the reason that why we get an end of mystery opener is because Shaggy and Scooby get severely injured. They are injured and now they quit. Just if they had just left Solomon Grundy alone. It would have been fine. That's what he we say. He would have been viciously attacked by him. Leave it to Batman. That's what I always say if I see a crime. <laughs> Leave it to Batman, I say, and I just walk away. Should, should we talk about their replacements? They're going to get a spot later, right? Yeah. But essentially, Shaggy and Scooby have brought in replacements, but they're going to do some on-the-job training. So Shaggy and Scooby are still here to walk them through the process and explain to them what their role within this gang actually is. Scooby, I wrote down the note, Scooby says they've ruined the letter M for them. Do you yeah. remember? That was while they were quitting, because they were going to quit meddling, they were going to quit mysteries, they were going to quit the mystery machine. A lot of stuff beginning well, with M. They're just going to quit that letter. Monster. Just trying to remember the third one. Mystery machine. We're gonna quit this van! Why? Oh, but I just can't quit you. Van? <laughs> they then go on to know all the steps to the hero's journey. Well, and, and as we all know, the classic first step is to refuse the call to action. And that is a step that Shaggy and Scooby have got down. They are good with that step. When does the dream drop dissidents trash can come into it. <laughs> that's later. I, I don't think that's in the, the proper hero's journey. I think that's a Brian David Gilbert original. <laughs> but I do like how, you know, they have these, uh, these acolytes, these inter- acolytes. acolytes. <laughs> Interns! I'm trying to subordinates. Trainees! Trainees is probably the better term. When I started working at my grocery store, <laughs> I was not forced to bow down before my manager as her new acolyte. <laughs> Really? Because <laughs> that's how it works in my office. Then again, I do work for the church. But, so we see Shaggy and Scooby go through their regular episode events, but they're being extremely meta about it. 
you know, they're being chased by the monster. Their intern's like, oh my god, he's chasing us! Get used to it. Shaggy and Scooby know the monster is coming after them. And I really like how they explain what their little, uh, like, their disguise bit is all about. You know, it's a switch to offense through surprise and disguise. It throws them off their rhythm, as John Mulaney might say. <laughs> you, <laughs> their pedophile rhythm. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, though. They're replacements. He's getting chased by a vampire, so he grabs something pointy that he might stake the vampire with. <laughs> yes. And I might say that that's also offense. It's a much more direct form of offense, certainly. And I did and I would rather run at that vampire with a sharp fireplace poker than create the obvious ruse lounge that they create. But, but you- Where do they get the piano? It's easier to stab a man than to carry a baby grand, okay? You are not fitting the archetype that Shaggy and Scooby fit here. You, you know, you, you would throw the gang off their rhythm. You are more of a leader than a chicken shit, which is which they are. You know, it's you're very different. Um, they, they even ex- explain it here. The rest of the gang does flashlights, Shaggy and Scooby do fear and food. It's an F explanation. We're a lot of fun with letters today. Scooby is not a good looking woman. In the obvious ruse lounge when Shaggy's playing piano and Scooby's dressed as a lounge singer, he does not pull that off like Bugs Bunny would pull that Mm, off. No, Bugs Bunny looked great in loungewear. If we were doing a Looney Tunes podcast, you couldn't get me to shut up about Bugs Bunny and loungewear. Alright? <laughs> to a point where our listeners would be uncomfortable with how I went on about Bugs Bunny's shapely body what in you, loungewear. What do you think of Bugs Bunny when he dresses as, like, the, the southern girl and he's got, like, booty shorts on? <laughs> and he doesn't put a wig on, he just, like braids his ears. I always thought that was a bad look. It's it's just it's amazing how an animal in a cartoon doesn't need clothes but as soon as you put them in like booty short clothes <laughs> it's like oh that's not enough clothes now. <laughs> there is a line where once you start wearing clothes there is a certain amount of clothing that you need to wear. This episode does obviously end with Shaggy and Scooby deciding not to quit the gang. And they come back with an inspirational speech. How they gave up on every mystery. But they never quit. <laughs> Which is, it's one, it's one of those things where you're really twisting the words to do some work for you. you you're not really keeping anyone together. Maybe in the live action movie. 2002, Friends Don't Quit. I remember it. But here... But they did. And they did over and over again. Scooby goes Hollywood, 13 Ghosts, it has happened. What, I, they did quit in What's New at one point, right? Feels like a rite of passage. Zombie Island, for the love of God. Velma had time to establish herself as a bookstore owner. Mm-mm. But here it is, here's the quote, and I, and I apologize for, for just like, you know, the way I'm pacing things here. But, the quote here, without us... You might forget that you should be afraid of scary places. It's interesting. It's, it's really interesting to me that there is actually, like, a look. 
you need us. Oh, yeah. Their anxiety rubs off on everyone else. Yeah. Without us, you're just going to run headfirst into danger, and you're all going to get, like, chopped up into pieces. You need someone to hold you back a bit. They're the sensible ones. You know they're not, though, right? Nothing they've ever done has been sensible? Yeah, I mean... No, they dressed up in loungewear and didn't pull off as well as bugs, so it's it's truly not. Well, let's look at somebody who is a little more sensible in this gang. When I think of sensible, I think of Daphne. Oh, I knew you were going to say it, and yet it still hurt my fucking soul to hear it. I don't even believe I have a soul, and yet something inside me just hurt when you said that. Uh, uh, Hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> a little. Uh, Daphne... Daphne, in the in the opening mystery, Daphne throws a shoe. She, I wouldn't say that's a throw. I say she flat out attacks Solomon Grundy with a shoe, viciously and without remorse. <laughs> and you know what? Because the shoe has come off at one point, and before Valma can tell her, no, don't go after that monster with a shoe, and she's, it's off! I mean, once And I'm going in! <laughs> once it's off, it's off. You just have to accept it. These, I mean, this is not as dangerous as it could be. Daphne's wearing Converse in this series. She's worn a sharp heel before, and getting attacked with one of those would be much worse. She wears, like, pumps. I've never described what she's worn as a sharp heel. She's not in a stiletto. That would hurt. You could kill a man with a stiletto. I guess. I guess she's never real. Well... Right in the eye socket? That's a dead person there. Have there been any fancy events that they've gone to where she's worn stilettos? Now that I can name off the top of my head, uh, she plays the bone now is my only other note for Mm -hmm. Daphne. Yeah, she decided to learn the slide trombone, but after learning that Shaggy and Scooby are leaving the gang, she doesn't feel like it anymore. All trombones are slide trombones, are they not? That's what makes it a trombone. Well, there, I, I know the term slide trombone is a thing, so there must be other types of trombones. If you were to, if, if you said, hey, Billy, want to play the trombone, and I was like, yeah, and you hand me something that doesn't slide, I would be severely disappointed. Because that arm motion is, like, the reason to play it. Like, if, uh, I don't want the Saints to be coming in if I'm not doing my air punches. You only use the slide with one hand, Billy. The other one has to stay still so you can hold the I'm instrument. Ro- I'm, I'm <laughs> rocking back and forth. I'm also ready for a fight. Slide trombone versus valve trombone. Which would be a trumpet, would it not? A slide allows for a true glissando for comic or jazz effects. The valves do not, whether on trumpet or trombone, and have to be mimicked with the performer's umbrature. I don't think that answered a question, and I wasn't sure if the second sentence actually made sense. (laughs) But that's what comes up first on Google. A trombone Uh, is a trombone, alright? I will accept this. If they were going to make her with a valve instrument, they would have handed her a trumpet. Something really fucking annoying. (laughs) I actually think she might have played the trumpet at one point. She played the tuba at one point, didn't she? I don't know. She's an instrument, a multi-instrumentalist. Daphne doesn't do a lot in this particular episode, and that's evidence from the fact that, you know, after an inspiring speech and Fred is saying that Shaggy and Scooby were right and that Velma was also right, and Daphne, you haven't offered anything to be right or wrong about. 
she stands up and she proudly proclaims, That's okay! Fred pointing at Daphne and saying that she hasn't added anything is a mood for this whole damn series. I, th- I thought you would enjoy that. Yeah. Fred's calling it like he sees it. And if only he wasn't a cop fucking bootlicker, I could get behind him, but I can't. Well, let's go to Fred. Alright, fine. My only other note for him, besides him saying Daphne's worthless, is that he has mystery-solving contracts everyone needs to sign. Yeah, presumably Velma and Daphne have already signed the contracts, and it's a bit of a pet peeve of his that Shaggy and Scooby refuse to sign. But he does get them to sign by the end of the episode, so they are they are locked in under Fred's terms and conditions. I made a note that Fred got attacked by the vampire physically while he was driving the van. They were simply driving through town, and Fred started getting this vampire going to town on his neck. Violent! Fred's also excited about a classic mystery. Who isn't? Uh, he does feel a little bit bad when he gets uh, Morley and Bumpy, who are, the, you know, the, the aforementioned acolytes, turned into vampires. <laughs> Yeah, a touch of guilt there. <laughs> yeah, that men have died on his watch. If they hadn't signed the contract yet, so Fred's liable right now. And then, uh, what of the Velma vision? A quote from her is that what's important is that we're best friends because Shaggy and Scooby are quitting because of the mysteries. And she says it's not about the mysteries, it's that we're best friends. Since fucking when... Be cool, Velma Dinkley. Since fucking when have you even been able to tolerate looking into each other's eyes? You all hate each other. It is so blatantly obvious you all hate each other. I mean, she says, I can't picture us doing this in 47 years. Not this game! Not this game. This, if this is the way it started, probably would have been doing something else by the 70s. Classic gang, yeah, because they were all lacking in personalities, so that was fine <laughs> if they stuck together. Mystery Inc., they saved the goddamn universe, you better believe they're sticking together. This gang, they will unfollow each other on Twitter as soon as they're all away at different Ooh. universities. There's a lot of social media drama going around on here. A huge credit that I want to give to Velma in this episode, though, is the scene where she said, Jinkies, Morley. In just like the perfect tone as if she was saying, Jesus. <laughs> Jinkies. <laughs> and that's the way I want to see Jinkies used. That Jeeper has a stand-in for being yeah. like, Christ. Yeah, <laughs> Jinkies is now just flat-out swearing. <laughs> this, this is the frack for Scooby-Doo. Thelma is called Mind Over Brains. At one point, and I feel like that's very apt for this Velma, who will have, like, a temper tantrum if you try to use lip balm at a renaissance fair, because it wasn't invented yet. I, th- I think it's on par for a lot of Velmas. I think you could say that about Velma in general. It's, uh, again, it's, this it's is one of those to... phrases where it's like, what do these words mean? It's hard to explain when suddenly put on the spot after days having watched this. And I think I lost the plot in my own explanation, but no, I, I, I I'll, do see what I'll you're saying. wrap it up by saying, fuck this Velma. Well, <laughs> no the... matter if she's brain over mind or mind over brains. Well, let's just go to the Morley and Bumpy menanigans. 
They're re- they're replacing Sir Shaggy and Scooby, you see, so I just gave them the same words, slightly changed. Mm-hmm. Mananigans. How do you work in Bumpy's B to that alliteration? Manabigans. The minor mentions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Morley and Bumpy are uh, a hipster and a small dog. You want it? You want a picture, Morley? Close your eyes and put Moby there. A slightly more tanned Moby with thick framed glasses like Velma. I'm shocked that there wasn't a gag where it was like, hey, same glasses. That would have been nice. I would have loved it if they bonded over glasses. Ooh, or if Morley had lost his glasses and Shaggy just picked them up and he's like, no, that's not what we do. (laughs) (laughs) That's Velma's thing. That's someone else's. (laughs) My thing about Morley and Bumpy in this episode is that they are so exceedingly normal. They just behave how a person might during this mystery. Uh, yeah, they barricade the door against the vampire, and then they get something sharp in which to kill it with. He's after us! Find weapons! Yeah! (laughs) Can you imagine? It was a stake. It was a sharp weapon. You could get away with maybe, like, one of the gang members holding, like, a... A cha- like a, a rounded weapon, something to bonk with, but not stab. Morley was ready to stab for his life. He asks, what does Zoinks mean Which with, with such an intensity? He's already confused what Zoinks means. I don't even think they've met the vampire yet. He's not going to be cut out for this. No, well, I mean, if you don't know Zoinks, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, how do you even pass the written exam? To get to this point, I know that a job interview, you're not just going to go from applying to, to being on the field training. You went through a process for this, and one of those was a written exam. And surely Zoinks had to be on there. Now, Bumpy doesn't talk. Nope. Bum- just- Bumpy is the small dog that's replacing Scooby, so really, all Shaggy has done is replaced himself. There's still going to be a, a dynamic that's not met Yeah. once Shaggy and Scooby leave. And I was thinking about this, and I was trying to think back to the other times when Shaggy and Scooby, or Shaggy and or Scooby, left the gang and who their replacements were. Do you remember Bernie Gumshire? The look in your eyes says no. Thirteen ghosts. The Time Slime episode, Bernie Gumpshire was a lazy sheepdog who was briefly part of the the gang, replacing Scooby-Doo. And we loved him. (laughs) Did we? We loved Bernie Gumpshire. I've never seen this man before in my life. I I think if you go back, uh, uh, for people listening at home, it's from the episode It's a Wonderful Scoob. And Bernie Gumpshire, <laughs> he has a name like a 50-year-old man. And if I remember, uh, I do, I believe he had one of these voices. You know, just a nice little slow voice. And so this is just a big shout-out to <laughs> Bernie Gumpshire. Amelia might have forgotten you, but I still love you all these years later. And, <laughs> oh uh, and uh, Bumpy, uh, let's just say you're no Bernie. Next we have Sheriff Boone. 
big head, small hands, a feminine voice. Yeah, should we talk about his giganticism? I, I... Because he, he is... I, is it giganticism, or is it, is it minimalism? His hands somehow shrunk. The rest of him stayed a regular size, but it was his hands that shrunk. It's, it's like if you, you shot a growth ray at a baby, but not at the whole baby, just at certain parts individually. <laughs> you know, the, the head, alright, big size, arms, just length. If you, if you were creating something odd. So Sheriff, Sheriff Boone perplexes me. I expected him to be two large babies in a trench coat. I hope his name is Boone, because that's what I've written down. Well, I could simply look at the he, wiki. Um, he talks about doing things that don't fit his body type. Yeah, he's, he's too soft in the way he presents himself. He wants to binge-watch his shows and drink chamomile tea. That's what he wants to do on this dark and stormy night. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sensible thing to do. But it's just it's just odd coming from that from a man like that. I have a quote from him, and I want you to pick out which word I think I misheard. Okay. I don't feel anything that makes my vag tingle. I, I do think you got something wrong there. Yeah? I, I do think so. Is it the vag part? Yeah, I think it might be. I, I think he might have been saying badge if I were to put two and two together. With him being a police officer and all, I I don't think he said it makes my badge tim tingle. <laughs> well, then he's missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, there is also Paco the caretaker. He is a creepy man. He is an organist. He allows bugs to crawl on his face. That was an arachnid, it was a spider. I, I stand corrected. He does offer the gang a freshly baked bunt cake. Like, he's offering to go bake a new bunt cake just for the gang. I don't even care if you're the villain. You get off scot-free in my mind. That's just kind. But he is the villain. He is, so take him to jail. Uh, or, as my last minor mention here would do, the murder cop. Now let me end this abomination! So, okay, first off, I think you can simplify that just by calling him the cop, cop because they're all murder cops. Yep. But he does want to stake the vampire. He does. He has come with a wooden stake. He's whittled himself. <laughs> it takes the whole gang being like, no, 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 no! Please don't kill this man in front of us! But yeah, our, our villain, the Nosferatu-style vampire. I do like that it was a Nosferatu vampire instead of a Dracula. Still going with this joke, eh? It, I can't remember if I did it off screen or, or... Well, I did it off screen because we don't record any video footage, but... <laughs> I think you came up with this the other day at the park. I d think I did. It's just fun to say Dracula wrong. Dracula. 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 Yeah, this Nosferatu vampire, he's tall, he's skinny, he's got the big bat ears, bold bluish skin. And I don't think it would have been as effective if he didn't viciously attack Fred while the van was in motion. That colored my perspective of this vampire and his ruthlessness. Did we get a backstory on the vampire at all? Um, it's quite possible. I tend to zone in and out 
as we watch these things. Well, it didn't, it didn't get a name. He's just being called the vampire here. So I don't think we got any specific lore. Just, uh, you know, well, like, apart from the whole, like, basement of this castle was filled with coffins. So that wasn't so much a verbal lore, but, uh, you know, a, a, a mise-en-scene that was presented that maybe told you that, that there was a, a vampire horde under this castle. A brood of vampires, if you will, like cicadas. The Nosferatu is Sheriff Boone and Paco as his uncostumed sidekick. Yes. In villainy. They were doing theft. That's all it was. Yep, they, they scared off the old caretaker. And then, after that, Boone started being the vampire to make the people flee and, and steal their stuff. He's literally scaring people out of their houses so that he can go in and, like, steal their watches and shit. Yeah. And so feasibility... No! People are not going to up and leave their houses and all of their personal belongings short of a fucking forest fire five feet from their yard, let alone because of a vampire legend, quotation marks around legend. And I don't know if you made a note of this, but when they start opening those coffins in the basement, and they're all filled with, like, gold doubloons, (laughs) where the fuck is he getting all these gold There's coins a lot a lot of fancy jewels in this why town. isn't this th- why aren't they all just filled with like ps4s and shit like right? that's the only valuables you're gonna find in people's houses nowadays oh it's oh you know that that duck was gonna go to brayden's birthday and brayden got oh, another gold brick <laughs> thanks mama <laughs> If only the duck had shown up. It's not like this is a... We could have hunted him for sport. It's not like this was set up as a gated community. This no. isn't a rich town. It was just supposed to be it's a town. It's just a town. That's a very good point. I will give it also unfeasible because of the style of treasure. Because <laughs> that's what that is. That's, that's not stolen goods. That's treasure. Or, as Frank would say, treasure. The most you're going to get out of these old houses is copper piping. They should have opened <laughs> coffins and just found copper piping. I like your concept of them being just filled with PS4s, though. What else are they going to steal? I don't have any golden jewel-encrusted candelabras around. That's true. And yet what? these people of this town do. Someone breaks in here. What are they taking? It would It would probably be the video game stuff. It certainly wouldn't, wouldn't be your hand-painted Ernie cookie... Oh, I'm, holder or anything and like thank that. God for that, because if they took my hand-painted Ernie cookie jar, I would be devastated. Uh, is this a scary villain, Melia? It, it is a Nosferatu. I love Nosferatu, personally. I like the idea that vampires get more feral and monstrous and animalistic as they age. Mm-hmm. And there I is... Just, a- man, I just hate Be Cool so much, and I hate the art style, and it takes away from any kind of fright that I might feel for these things... It moves really creepily because it just, like, glides after you when you're running. I'll give it a five. I I will go up to a seven here. Uh, And again, really like the vampire, really like the Nosferatu-style vampire. Really like how many coffins are here that, to me, 
implies there are a whole bunch of other vampires. The lack of any solid lore, I think, is what holds me back from giving it a real high score here. So yeah, think, think you know, you're getting a B from me, guy. I like that we, at one point, thought that Morley and Bumpy were dead or converted into vampires. If they had come back as vampires and it turned out they were, like, in on it in some way, that would have been really cool. That would have been too close to the Vampire Bats and Scaredy Cats, I believe is the title of that episode, with mm. their friend Lisa who gets hypnotized into doing right. the vampire's bidding by being a vampire Th herself. This is the problem with Scooby-Doo at this point, that you've, you know, we're 464 deep here, guys. You've done vampires a myriad of ways already. Also, I don't know if we mentioned it, but Morley and Bumpy do get abandoned in that castle. Yep. Left for dead. Trapped in Fred's trap, never to be released. Now, admittedly, it is a cage that you could very easily simply climb out of. Video game logic. Mmm. It's, it's the classic video game logic of uh, doors locked. There's a gaping hole in the wall just a little further down, but you couldn't possibly go through that hole. You have to go through the door. Right. Okay, so they have to have that lifted up over their heads and exit that way. It's the only way. Do you have any other thoughts or feelings on this episode? Not really. I guess that's all that's left, too, then, is give it a verdict. And for me, I find myself very on the middle on this one. I think this, this feels, for me, like a, what I would give a Scooby, maybe. No strong feelings one way or the other. Yeah, sure. Scooby, maybe. Yeah. For no strong feelings one way or the other. You know, if, if, you, if you got rid of Bumpy and brought in Bernie Gumpshire, it could have been a different story. But... <laughs> Listeners, if you would like to recall your love of Bernie Gumpshire, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Faye Lamelia, Billy is at the Billy Seaguire, and we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Deuce. And for once, this is something I actually really do want to hear from you about. So please, let me know about your love of Bernie. <laughs> not, not the political one. Our next episode is Worst in Show. Another dog show. Traditionally difficult episodes. Will this be different? Probably not. Then on that note. That's it from Scooby Dooby Us. To Scooby Dooby You! Now, if we ape the style of Best in Show, make it sort of an imp improvisational documentary where Fred Willard gets involved, that I'm all on board for. And, and yet we know Fred Willard is only in one Scooby Doo property, so. I know. It's not going to be that Harry Shearer? I'd some get my hopes up.